Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. This is one of a series, and I have invited Sherry Johnston onto the program today to talk about women, women in the workplace and women in revenue, as she likes to call it. Uh, I do want to say, if you're a man and you are listening to this program, continue to listen. I know that there is going to be some tremendous insights for you that may make you a better husband, that may make you a better manager, and certainly a more empathetic teammate in the office. So whether you are a man or whether you're a woman, I know that this series is going to be tremendously valuable to all of us listening in. And let's jump into it. Sherry, thank you so much for joining me on the program and for what you're about to share, because we're going to dig into some areas of conversations that I don't think people normally talk about. Sounds good. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Dave. Absolutely. Uh, In terms of the series, Sherry is the only one on this upcoming series that I know. Sherry and I have known each other now for quite some time. We met when Sherry was actually on the client side, uh, and she used to be uh, in marketing at Avid. And I vividly remember, Sherry, the workshop that we did on nurturing, which I'd like to think in some way uh, that when you went on to win the award and be a finalist for Best Nurture, uh, Eloqua Markey, that maybe that training and coaching played a role on that journey that you've been on. But I remember very much in that workshop, um, you sitting, I can still picture you in the left back corner of the desk when we were getting up there and talking about nurturing and just how intently you listened to all the training. And it's not surprising to me that you have gone on over the past decade to make a tremendous impact at the companies that you've been at. Sherry has been a marketing practitioner well beyond Avid at companies that many of you may recognize like Demandbase and Radius. Uh, But uh, over the last couple of years, Sherry has focused on building her own career, and she is one of the principal consultants at Winning by Design. And sometimes I bring Sherry into some client work that we are working on for her expertise in ABM. So if you know Sherry or want to look more uh, and learn more about Sherry, you can certainly find her on LinkedIn. But today we're going to talk about women in revenue. So let me ask you the first question, Sherry, before we get into why you founded Women in Revenue. What is it like to be a woman in the workplace today? Yeah, good question. You know, I um, felt very supported growing up through through my career in marketing um, and incredibly grateful to have so many opportunities come my way. Um, and, you know, until I really got to the executive suite, um, to be honest, and felt that there was a, just a lot of challenges that women faced that were unique to that that particular space. While I think there are unique challenges at all level, my journey ended up that way where, um, yeah, I, just, I found a lot of challenges with balancing family and and in the career um, at the, the C-suite, um, as well as just the dynamics t- tend to be more male the farther you get up uh, and, and the the ability to relate and build a team together became a, a bit challenging in, in that regard. Um, but on the other uh, other side, there is more opportunity than ever for women in revenue or women in, in business in general. And uh, I think it's a, 
a great time for us to flourish and spread our wings and, and show the impact that we can have. It's, it's amazing to have that dialogue these days of how much a diverse workforce can not only just benefit the company from the right thing to do perspective, but from a true revenue perspective by just having all those diverse points of view and, and having much more diversity throughout the organization. Yeah. You are, um, have had a tremendous career success. You've been in leadership roles, senior leadership roles. You're now leading your own business. You are a wife and you are a mother of two children, two boys. And you've balanced all that. And I'm sure, as I say the word balance, you might think in your mind, mm, well, you're, you're always trying to find balance and not necessarily always feeling in balance. What's been some of the, the tougher parts of your career of trying to balance all that in your experience? Yeah, you know, um, I am lucky enough to have a, a great close circle of women leaders like myself to bounce these uh, issues off of. And for me, I I think we, we all share a, a certain amount of guilt that comes on either side of, of not living up to expectations on the work front, uh, on the home front. Um, but at the end of the day, loving our very full life of having being career women, as well as uh, nurturing our families and loving them to the extent that we do. Um, but the guilt can be tough, um, feels pulling strings at either side to, to make sure that you're balancing and, and um, having that, that, that true dynamic between, between each side of your life. But I think it's a, a constant struggle for us all. Yeah. Um, you know, Carlos Hidalgo and Carlos is working on a book right now. Shout out to Carlos. And I believe the working title of the book is The Un-American Dream. And he has a TEDx talk that he put online, which get, he gets pretty emotional in when he talks about his son and his son reaching out to him, making a phone call. And he was in a hotel and his son said, you know, dad, you're, you're always in a hotel and hung up the phone. And it was a very tough time for, for him because he realized that he was unbalanced and, and a big focus of the book that he's working on is what he's learned through that experience. When do you think you have felt most unbalanced or maybe just in your less area of comfort? Was it when you became a mom and you are at home and away from your other career or when you're at work and the kids are at home or in need of you and the, the demands on the job um, prevent you from being there. Yeah, you know, I think there's some some interesting stories on both sides where you know having having to miss particular late night board meetings or whatnot because there there's just as a mom your your priority is having to to care for your kids if there there isn't the opportunity to have another family member pick up the slack or uh, have alternate arrangements or your your child is sick um, that is always my priority. Um, and there, there definitely has been instances uh, where where you you feel like you're letting your team down when when those situations happen and you're not able to be there for them. Um, and alternatively, so I think you know my Carlos Hidalgo moment for me um, for with my kids was was not necessarily a a particular phone call or situation, but. Uh, a few years back, I, I just all of a sudden ran the numbers in my head to realize how few years 
I had my oldest son in the house still and how, you know, each summer was so precious. And I I think it was a, a particular summer where we just didn't have time to really do a whole lot of travel or family time. And I I counted the years and just had this aha moment that I have, you know, five years left with him in the house. I I need to make the most of it and figure out a balance. Um, That was by all of a sudden a light just went off and I needed to make that happen and, and have that be the priority. I'm going through that with my mom right now. My mom who's 83 and starting to get of age. I lost my dad about three years ago. And I'm doing the same thing, but I'm counting down in a way, which is really sad and and not to be so pessimistic. But I know that, you know, my mom's time on the planet is not something I can take for granted. She lives uh, in Southern California. So every time I see her, I started thinking, okay, how many years might my mom still be around or even mobile enough uh, for us to see each other? And how many days is the typical visit? And you start doing that math and you really realize how... um, how precious time is and, and not to waste any of that time. Uh, talking about my mom, and I want to get into women and revenue, you know, my mom is a very strong woman. She is um, entrepreneurial. She's hard driving. She's incredibly independent. So is my sister. So is my grandma. My grandma was an orphan, and she was uh, ran a business out of Port Washington, New York, a baby cap business, big business back in the day and told me stories about, you know, just being so exhausted that she would go to sleep on the cutting room table and then wake up, you know, at midnight and continue working or the next morning. So I've always been around strong women, uh, career minded women. Uh, my first managers, uh, at Microsoft and at Fairlawn were women. I think I've talked about them on the program. So I've never known, really gender bias uh, in the workplace. In fact, I do track our numbers at Demand Gen, and I've publicized that you know we're 60% female and that we are 60% women in leadership. Uh, and, and I think that's a testament to you know, growing up in an environment where, again, I don't necessarily see the differences between men and women from a leadership or compensation or role and responsibility, because I've just, I've just never been exposed to that. But it exists, and clearly, um, there are challenges being a woman in the workplace. Uh, tell me why you founded uh, with the other members, Women in Revenue, and what uh, the program's about, and what success looks like uh, in the program for the members. Yeah, you know, I think there are were a few uh, factors that went into it that that have made me particularly passionate about wanting to provide more education and leadership and mentorship for younger women and and women in leadership roles. Um, you know, one of them was was an interesting story where I was I was driving with my son and I have two sons, so um, you know, them having a very a perspective like you just described yours is very important to me. We live in San Francisco, they see lots of diversity, they see lots of successful women. Um, and are supported around by that. But I made a comment to him around, you know, what he wanted to be when he grew up and asked him, you know, if he wanted to be a successful business person like his dad. Uh, and he goes, or like you. And it hit me really hard that I, you know, didn't even equate it to myself, mostly just was sort of, I guess, thinking about it from a gender perspective. And, um, but it was really interesting. And to me that he, you know, saw me as that, that way. And, and also that I was a role model to him in that way. 
um, and and how much I want to be a role model for them in that way and, it, and how impactful it's been on their life to see women in that light, especially their mom. Uh, and wanting to continue that dialogue, because that's not the case, as you mentioned, in, in all communities and in all spaces. And uh, but between that and, and some of my experiences where I felt like I really wanted to do something to continue this education and conversation being outside of building SaaS startups, um, I started to to really have this passion for starting women in revenue and talk to a few of my favorite marketing and sales leader friends um, that I've had the pleasure of working with. I know you've had some of them on the show, Jen, Jen Demas, um, and then Julia Steed and Debbie Rapson, um, Christina Saunders, and Lauren Goldstein, and just start having those conversations with them around, hey, this is what I'm feeling. I feel like there's not... There's, there's a lot of women in tech kind of STEM groups, but I really feel this passion for us as women who are revenue generating leaders to, to band together and support each other. And, um, and they, their enthusiasm and passion and absolute willingness to jump in with me into this project full bore without any hesitation, you know, is really the reason this, this organization has lifted off the ground and, and have become what now is over 450 members and 130 people in our mentorship program uh, in, in less than six months. So, um, yeah, I'm incredibly excited about how it came about and, and how, how well received and what a need it, there was beyond just my own uh, perspective on it throughout the women that I know in, in my network and beyond. And clearly, if if you've got 450 members and you started it um, in October of 2018, then there's a lot of need, a lot of interest, and it's great great to to see that. I'll, I'll link it in the description, but if any of you are sitting in, uh, near a device um, while you're listening to the podcast and want to look it up, it's womeninrevenue.org. Uh, and again, I'll mention it later on. And there's no fee for, for membership, correct? No fee, nope. Yeah, so it's just their so we, peer we group have... support for one another. Um, and you were going to say something. I'm going to ask a question after that. Yeah, no, we, we do host quarterly events um, that we, we ask for, for contribution to, to attend um, for our members. And we do have a mentorship program that currently is not paid. Uh, a pay, there's not a charge for either. Um, but, uh, yeah, n- no fee. And we're, we're very excited to, to help elevate women at all levels and, and also provide mentorship. It's interesting. One of the things that came up in the mentorship program is not only, uh, a great need for the more seasoned marketing and sales executives to mentor younger, but there was a huge demand for some of the more experienced members to be mentored by junior members to really understand the dynamics of millennials, to understand, you know, how to better manage them, how to be a better leader. And then I, I found that pretty fascinating because it wasn't something that was initially in on my radar. Mm, that's great. Very useful peer group. I, I have belonged to a peer group myself, a CEO peer group, and the mentorship and coaching to one another, as well as having outside speakers come in is invaluable. And I, um, I'd love to be a fly on the wall. In fact, hearing you talk about having younger folks mentor, uh, I would say if there's ever a need, ever an opportunity um, to have male representation, uh, you know, on your topics or in 
uh, in the program, definitely let me know because I'd love to help any way that I can. And I think this podcast series is going to be very helpful. Let's let's dive into a topic. Uh, I got a phone call yesterday, and it was I had just still smiling about it, still thinking about it, and it was from Naomi Liu. And Naomi, shout out to you. And the phone call that she gave me, uh, Naomi's a client. I uh, certainly plan to have her on the podcast, I think in June. We've got something slated because she's doing a massive migration from a current marketing system over to another marketing automation system. So we'll talk about that. But the reason that she called me is she said, hey, I want to let you know some great news. And I said, what's the news? And she said, I got promoted. And she got promoted to director of marketing operations. And she was really excited about it, and I was really excited for her. And it made me think of a conversation that she and I had uh, a couple times, and we talk about it. We touch base on it almost each time that we talk, and that's this, Sherry. It's really relevant to what I'm going through in my life, which is my oldest daughter, Emily, is getting married in this year. And as she's leading up to the wedding, she's, of course, planning what? A shower, right? Major milestone event. She has found her Prince Charming and she is getting married. And so now there's a shower uh, that we're planning at the house with all of her girlfriends and family. It's, you know, big event, right? And I think there will be another one, right? One day when she decides to have children, there'll be a baby shower, hopefully. Uh, and, and David gets to become a grandpa. And the conversation that Naomi and I have been having, because Naomi doesn't have kids yet, don't know if that is in her long-term plans, but we talk a little bit about it. Don't want to overshare. But the topic is, do women continue to celebrate? You know, it's celebrating motherhood and it's celebrating getting married, two very feminine uh, experiences in their life. But she also just, you know, in Naomi's case, she just got promoted and you've been promoted and you've taken on new jobs and you've started new businesses. Are you and your girlfriends celebrating these milestone events in the same way that you've celebrated other type of uh, events, like a baby shower or like a wedding shower? Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. Uh, I think it's a, it's you know, it's, it's really thought provoking to kind of think through, you know, why those are celebrated and why others aren't. And you know, I do think the dialogue needs to change and the habits need to change or we're sort of structuring that um, celebration that has just been a habitual process in our lifestyles that is supporting women that is not really kind of the makeup of, of what the focus of, of our lives are. Yet, right. Yes, we're, we're, we're wives and yes, we are mothers, but that that is also, you know, we are also other things and that those pieces aren't, aren't very celebrated. Um, you're right. And, you know, I'll have to say, I don't have a a particular answer other than the way I I definitely felt that lack of celebration beyond those key milestones in my life. Um, and having this close network of women that, you know, I have been lucky enough to have, and now is continuing to grow with uh, this organization really helps us get some of that reinforcement from each other because we know how that impactful that promotion is on on their lives. We know that that wasn't an easy task to get. We know that that was was something to be celebrated. Um, where otherwise, if you don't have that, you know, 
I'll, I'll use the example of if you tell that same promotion to the mom's group at the school, it's just not going to be as impactful or, or meaningful to them as it is to your your core network of women in your um, and in your business circles. So it's for me, it's been really helpful to kind of have that celebration extension of of my career with um, this growing network of women that that I'm able to to continue to connect with. It is a, it's a really thought provoking topic. I certainly hope that my girls um, don't just use um, getting married and having kids as their major milestone events. They are certainly major milestones, but so is getting your first job and so is getting your first promotion. And so is switching to another company or your company going public or becoming a member of a board, all of these different things. And what's interesting that I have witnessed, I've certainly experienced, especially in the community that I live in, because there's a lot of women who live in our community who don't work. My wife certainly works. I think a lot of people on the program know uh, Tiffany and know how hard she, that she works. And I have I've seen women struggle with conversations with other women about the fact that they work or they work as hard as they do. I've seen what I would consider some maybe insensitivities to where they're inviting women to daytime activities that they can't attend because some of the women work and and some don't. You know, I I hope the Women in Revenue program, maybe this is a topic at some point, which is how are you guys going to celebrate major milestones? I was speaking with Jocelyn King um, who's someone I've known for a decade now, and I asked her the question, and she says, you know, I do with my girlfriends celebrate those career advances and work milestones and do that. And it was great to hear that she she does that and, you know, gets flowers and celebrates that, you know, really in a big way for her girlfriends um, that do that. I think it's, it's super important. The um, other topic that I want to talk with you about, there's a bunch of topics, is... You did some survey with the group. You guys pushed out and published an ebook on it, and you were looking at um, salary differences and such. What are some of the highlights from the research, and did anything surprise you? Yeah, great question. Yeah, we wanted to take kind of a pulse of, of uh, you know, what is important to our membership base, and and give companies an insight and and um, other leaders insights into what it takes to attract top women in and retain top women in, in sales and revenue marketing positions. It was interesting. There's a number of the, the members have, especially on the sales side, have have mentioned that, you know, they the companies will say or, or folks that are supportive of diversity and inclusion in their, their workplace mention that it's they just don't know where to find great top talent, especially on the sales side. And, uh, you know, I just, that part of this group is, is to sort of debunk that, that myth that there just really isn't a volume of successful, talented women in sales and marketing leadership positions out there. Um, and, and, you know, if you want to attract them, which, which many companies are, are wanting to do, you know, how do, how do you do that? And so this gave us some insight into, you know, what's really important to our membership base to to kind of help articulate and give give companies a roadmap for for doing that. You know, I think the thing that was was just the number one standout from from how to attract and retain was was work life balance. It just it just came up over and over as um, a piece to the puzzle that women need. And and in talking more specifically with with women around what this means to them 
it's really not around more vacation time. That that did not come up high. It, it wasn't really even about working from home. This was about giving women the flexibility to juggle uh, all these both family milestones we might have in our life, even if you don't have uh, children. We, we have other things we want to achieve in our life and giving us that space to, to be able to balance both um, showed up incredibly high as, as being uh, a reason that we, we look or reasons we look for in, in next in companies that we're, we're um, going to, to work at. Um, the other one that came out was, was lack of mentorship. You know, how do we, how do we are able to get some, some advice and, and guidance along the way to really navigate the waters throughout our career? And then the, the third top piece was, was really having an equal seat at the table. Um, and for me, from this, this perspective, I guess it was near and dear to my heart of, of really, if, if we're, you're going to have women leaders, it's not just a, a the, the idea of, of having that diversity at the, at the board table, but truly listening and, and really having equal say in, um, or a, a measured say in, in the go-to-market strategy or the strategy of a company and, and having uh, that equality. So those were the top three that came to mind out of the survey. Um, there's a lot of really interesting data um, in there in general, um, but I, I, those were, those kind of stuck out to me as, as a, uh, key key takeaways yeah you mentioned board seats and uh you and i were talking when we were offline about that california is now mandating that all public companies have at least one woman one female board member by the end of 2019 and uh what's what are your thoughts or what's been the group's thoughts about that new law yeah, this is an initiative of ours that we we would like to to help facilitate um having delivering on this promise of having a, a woman on, on all boards, whether it be public or private. And uh, so we've done, done quite a few things to sort of educate. Um, we brought in Julie Abrams, who is a leader in this space and runs her own uh, nonprofit organization um, for women. We brought in Megan Eisenberg, who many of you know in the B2B space as being a, a, an amazing leader and an icon and, in, uh, in, in marketing. And then uh, Stacey Bishop, who was, is the VP of, of Scale Ventures or a partner at Scale Ventures. And uh, to talk about, you know, how to, to give women advice on how to go about becoming a board member, how to obtain a seat. Um, and you know, really the, the, the way that you go about doing this is, is through networking and so providing that education and platform for, for women to, who are qualified and who, who in, in specific areas that are in need for, for open board seats is um, you know, something that's near and dear to our heart and, and want to help elevate women who are, are looking for that next level of, of board placement. Uh, you mentioned Julia Steed, uh, one of the founding members of Women in Revenue, and also one of the folks that I hope is part of this series. And the reason, as you know, is because she is at home right now with uh, a newborn child. And I would love to do a podcast with her when we can find, and I'll, I'll do it anytime the baby's asleep. Um, but having <laughs> her really talk, you know, transparently 
and candidly about what she's feeling right now because she had this you know, she's vice president of marketing at Invoca. so what's she feeling right now is she elated because she is um, at home with the baby uh, or is she yet at this point going through with any withdrawals and missing uh, aspects of her career and I know from watching my wife take time off to raise our kids that I think the harder job is actually at home, uh, not necessarily in the workplace. Just, just we could, we'd spend a lot of time talking about that, but that's been my experience um, talking with her and just seeing you know what she went through physically and emotionally and the challenges of raising children versus a challenge you know in, in growing a company uh, and generating revenue or whatever your role might be completely just orders of magnitude um, different. Uh, I want to chat with you about uh, the pink tax, and that may be a new term uh, to some some folks. Uh, it's one that I first learned about when my daughters came home from school and started talking with me and said, Daddy, did you know there's a pink tax? And uh, I said, no, what's the pink tax? And they said, well, did you know that 85% of consumer purchases are done by women? And I said, no, but... Not completely surprising, given that we all go shopping, uh, you know, with a wife and two girls. We we do a lot of shopping at the Lewis house, <laughs> led by them. But they said, but here's the thing. They said, you know, like feminine hygiene products are charged a luxury tax uh, and, you know, anything but a luxury, more like a necessity. And they said that, you know, pink Bic razors are more expensive than, well, I shouldn't pick on Bic because they didn't say Bic, but they said pink razors are more expensive than blue razors. And I just starting to think about with this topic of board members now uh, being required to have at least one woman, are we going to see in consumer products and other areas where there is potentially this pink tax? And, and I only say potentially because there's a lot of people who try to debunk the theory that there is. But when you really look at the data and look at what is shared, um, women are definitely being charged more for either the same or very similar uh, products and since it sounds like they control a lot of the economy, economy from consumer spending, uh, it's it's almost the opposite, right? Here we've seen research that absolutely supports that there is not inequality in pay, and yet at the same time there's not inequality in expenses either. So women are getting um, it's a double whammy uh, for sure. So we'll we'll see if that changes. What other topics do mm -hmm. you think you guys are going to cover uh, this year? Yeah, um, well, this next, in a couple of weeks, we have a, a table topics event coming up where we're covering actually 12 different topics, uh, allowing women to pair up with experts in various areas across sales and marketing to, to really deep dive in and provide, uh, hopefully, kind of ongoing community of women leaders in their space to 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 uh, to draw from and 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 give, get ideas and leadership and a network with. Um, so it's all, all topics from everything from you know how to to up level revenue operations in an organization to sales and marketing alignment to um, on the sales side you know how to how to scale to a million dollar quota how to run a uh, a quota effective sales team, and uh, yeah, so we're we're excited to to kind of provide um, some leadership to to real specific topics that are really near and dear to all our membership's heart, and uh, and and give some ongoing networking opportunities with uh, like-minded women. Probably no shortage of topics um, 
and and maybe some that are very similar that that men um different versions of the same the same topic that men men deal with um but certainly the challenges of being you know just again watching my daughters um go to work and and take you know think about things like what should i wear uh to the office uh men have always had it pretty easy when it comes to work attire and casual business attire, right? It, it, when I first started my career, it was all suits. It was actually suits with vests. Uh, then the vests went away and then the the ties went away and we're still wearing blazers uh, many times these days. But it was, it was always easy to go to the closet and just grab the next suit off the rack and change a shirt color and change a tie and you have a brand new outfit. And just watching my daughters um, you know, go into the workplace uh, and think about their outfits and what they're wearing. Um, very, very interesting. So uh, maybe, maybe, yeah. a, maybe a topic there. Yeah. Another one we have coming up and, you know, I just want to say kudos to you for, for being an advocate for women. And I think you, you know, having three of them at home, I'm sure is a, is a, a good reason to be, to be an advocate as well. But, you know, it's interesting that you, you use data um, in, in the, the narrative that you have around some of these topics. And I think it's so important because, as we talked about earlier, sometimes you might not be experiencing uh, this this diversity and inclusion trouble that you that others may talk about. But if you look at the data, it, it happens. I mean, only only four percent of the investment community is female. That's that's just sad. That's amazing. And you may not wow. see it if you're if you're involved not involved in the VC world. It may not be something that's really obvious to you. But looking at these numbers, looking at the pink tax, and actually analyzing the data allows us to see and, and bubble up these issues. And you know, one one other topic that we are are really passionate about at Women in Revenue and all agreed as a board is you know we're not at all anti male. Uh, we love all the men in our lives that are supportive of us who look at the data like yourself and help bring up these topics and educate and network on, um, you know, how, how we can make it more equal. Um, so we definitely welcome men. And one of our events later in the year will definitely be around, you know, bringing in our, our male counterparts who have been um, great supporters to, to, to help educate on these topics as well. well like I said, happy to help anyway. I can from a viewpoint or, or support. Um, what about sexual harassment? Is that a topic that has come up or is that a topic that's, that's planned just, just dealing with it and, and any other uh, areas related to it? Yeah, you know, this is an area that I think is a good example of what I just described, where when we ran our survey um, through our community, it is not a topic that is top of mind or is particularly challenging for our particular membership base. But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen and it doesn't mean that it isn't a problem in other areas um, and that we shouldn't draw awareness to it and and make sure that um, we are supportive of evolving the the, uh, corporate environment in these areas. But in our membership community, I guess that particular topic was, was not one that we um, found of a, a particularly personal experience wise had had a lot of challenges with well that i I think that that's either a good thing or maybe it hasn't come up in a certain way, but certainly if the research wasn't there it's it's no doubt still um, 
a challenge in the workplace. And for someone like yourself who met her husband, um, you know, through your career, you've experienced the positive side of developing uh, a loving and caring relationship in a positive way at work. Some people certainly have had um, opposite experiences, either dated someone at work that ended poorly and then wound up leaving their job. I can think of someone, you know, because she couldn't handle just going in the elevator and worrying about running into uh, that person and the challenges of that. And that, that could be male or female on both sides of that. I wouldn't say it's a, it's harassment, but the challenges of, of dealing with um, relationships at work. Um, interesting, interesting topic as well. Well, thank you for joining me on the program, sharing, kicking off this series. I know that there are a lot of women that are listening to the program that will reach out uh, and check out womeninrevenue.org and think about participating with the group and the benefits. And I hope, again, guys, uh, if you stuck with the program, uh, maybe makes you a little bit more aware or a little bit more sensitive or finding an opportunity to uh, understand the challenges that, that, that women are going through, but also the transformation that is taking place in our workplace. Sarah and I talked earlier about you know, how much of this is biological, where we, you know, from the days where we were inside the cave and men were responsible for going out and hunting beasts and bringing food back to the family. When was the transition point in our evolution as a society where women started um, being able to contribute and work and wanting to work and putting their knowledge and skills and expertise? So it's just very thought-provoking when you think about our history and evolution as animals, um, where we are today and what maybe the next 50 or 100 years look like. I certainly feel like we are in the right direction and certainly organizations like yours, Sherry, are going to help both sides, men and women, uh, be better teammates at the office. So thank you for founding the program. And I know that uh, a number of folks that I know are very involved, as you said, Jen and Deb uh, in the program and, and Megan. So continued success to you guys. And I look forward to Uh, a couple other members joining me here on the podcast and and sharing their perspective as well. Great. Thanks for having me, Dave. Absolutely. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that session and talking about women in revenue. Uh, Like I said, Sherry is easy to find. It's Sherry, S-H-A-R-I, Johnston uh, on LinkedIn. And you can certainly check out womeninrevenue.org. Would love it when I see you uh, or feel free to email or on, link, uh, on LinkedIn. Send me your thoughts, uh, some of the topics. And if, and if women, you're out there and you'd like to hear me bring up some other topics on the other episodes, certainly suggest those. And I'm happy to uh, surface those questions or thoughts that you might have. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Demand Gen Radio. And I will catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 